Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I would like to thank Jenny Gallen for joining us today. Jenny Gowan is showing her insights into HMR pharmacists, consulting work, how to do great presentations. Thank you, Jenny, today for sharing your insights and experience. So thank you, Jenny, for um, Jenny Gowan for joining me today. If you could please introduce yourself. Thank you, Carleen, and I'm very honoured to be involved in your podcast. I've admired them, and so I hope that we can have a really interesting conversation. So... (laughs) Thank you. Um, how would people know know you the most? You're Jenny Gowan, the HMR pharmacist who works with the, your affiliations? I work with for my own company these days, which is really nice being your own boss and deciding what to do. Um, so in case you can't recognise the accent, it's actually, actually a New Zealand accent, which I haven't been able to actually refresh for a while because of COVID, but I'm looking forward to spending some time in New Zealand in January. So that's where I originally trained Carleen and where the whole story started. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your journey and how you came to be a pharmacist and study pharmacy? That's a really interesting question. And I think I had a pretty tough childhood in that I was an only child um, and my parents, after the war, there wasn't much employment in New Zealand, and so they had a mixed business, which meant that as a child I had to work in the business, and I had to do things like make um, ice creams with a, a scoop, make milkshakes, and I actually remember, this is how old I am, I remember when we got the first deep freeze that came in. And so I was working in, the, in a shop environment from quite an early age, um, counting out five aniseed balls for a penny, as it was, because it was prior to decimal currency. So when it came to careers, um, I had gone to what was called the Coburn Model School, which a lot of my friends give me a hard time about, but it was like a country school that was in the city of Wellington, where we only had four or five people in my class. So we were selected because we could work on our own, and in reflecting, that's probably stood me in really good stead with it. So then I went to Wellington Girls College, and it was a big school. I'd been in a little school with 25 people, and I went to a big school with 800 uh, girls alone, and thought I knew nothing, and found that I actually did extremely well uh, in that situation and uh, progressed through to do what was called a university entrance and higher school certificate. And at that stage, what to do? In those years, Carleen, there weren't too many opportunities for women. It was really hard. You had to be really smart to do medicine, and I didn't think I was that smart. So um, I was given the options for my mother of being a shorthand typist, my father of being a teacher, because he said it had good holidays. But the shop next door to my parents' business, where I worked, was actually, as it was called, a chemist. And I thought, this looks quite interesting. So I found out about it, and I found that it was only a two-year course and then two years apprenticeship, which meant I would be earning money after the third year. So I went and got accepted there. So it was a tough course. It was the only school in New Zealand, and we still have reunions. We all keep together, which is even exciting. In fact, we had one cancelled during COVID times. So we started in February. We went through till November, December, and we started at 9 o'clock, and we went through till half past five every day with our lectures. So that was tough. And the there was 70% male, 30% female. So quite a different to the balance these days. We then had to do an apprenticeship, 
And so I did an apprenticeship for two years in the city and a um, pharmacy that had lots of cosmetics. So that's how I got into pharmacy. And off I went, as we all did at that stage, to do the big overseas trip. And all my t uh, group planned to meet in London, and we did. And we met in London, and I stayed there for three years, having a brilliant time doing something like 27 jobs of locum work. Uh, working in anywhere from Barking in West London to Oxford um, to, uh, to um, Kensington, to all over the place and had great experience. And in, included in that I had a pharmacy that I managed for 12 months with um, a large number of staff um, who didn't really respect me as a young 22, 23-year-old New Zealand pharmacist. So a long journey. Then I met my husband in London, who happened to be Australian, and that's how I came to Australia. So a long story. Uh, wow. Because mm. so, it sounds like um, you had some interesting expectations from your parents and balancing those, and you went on to study a PhD. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to study your PhD? That was a hard one, Colleen, and it was I was a mature age student. When I came to Melbourne, um, I thought I need to get a job. And we had a flat in Faulkner Park. And across the road, there was a hospital. And my husband said, why don't you go and see if you can get a job there? So I went across and, yes, I could start as a hospital pharmacist. So I had three years at the Alfred, which was absolutely brilliant. And I was fortunate to be one of the first clinical pharmacists there, going during the ward rounds, and I needed to study. I studied just about every night prior to the ward rounds so that I wouldn't appear stupid in front of the registrars. Um, I was also very fortunate to be involved not only in the cardiac ward but in the dialysis unit because I was the closest pharmacist and we had the first kidney transplant and I was very much involved with that. And when we had rejection, I'd be called over and I'd run across the park and go and make up another dialysis solution. So that was really hard, great and it gave me a, an interest in study as well as I needed to know more. So the journey was long after that. Um, I ended up having children at, shortly after that, and we could only work part-time in um, community pharmacy. There were very few hospital uh, positions um, in the um, Melbourne at that stage. So I worked part-time in a community pharmacy. And then I still wanted to do more study. I had this question. I wanted to uh, get a degree because in New Zealand we didn't have a degree. We only had a diploma. Um, with it. So I tried, came in to the Victorian College of Pharmacy, as it was, to do something. and couldn't get anything. So they wouldn't accept me because I didn't have a degree. So I didn't, did an, um, the Australian College of Pharmacy practice, did a fellowship, which went on for some four years. And then after that, they decided that they would have graduate diplomas of community pharmacy, which was run at Victorian College of Pharmacy. And so I was very lucky to be accepted into that, which was a two-year course, um, one day a week, a great course, and gave me lots of opportunities. Um, as a result of that, I still wanted to do more study because I thought, gee, I'd really like to, you know, to work here and to do more, um, and I enjoyed teaching as well. So I tried to do studies, and they wanted me to do pharmacology, and I wanted to do pharmacy practice, and couldn't find anybody to take me on until I was very fortunate to share a room with um, Dr. Kay Stewart, or she became Associate Professor Kay Stewart, at the last of the Australian New Zealand Pazance conferences in um, Perth in 1992. And she said, oh, she said, I will supervise you in pharmacy practice. So that was my PhD journey, which was a part-time one. 
um, over that period of time, um, when I was doing my graduate diploma, Bill Horsfall had sort of um, become friendly with me and saw that I was interested in CPD and said, come and work at the Pharmaceutical Society just a day a week and we want you to look after pharmacy students. So I did that for some 18, 19 years with it. It expanded to four days a week. And over that period of time, I was able to do my PhD part-time. So a long journey, but one of the most fulfilling and one of the best things I have done. Um, it makes you feel accepted when you're in meetings with people who um, wouldn't perhaps, you would have a hard job as a female in those days to be heard. And when you had that PhD in front of your name, it is wrong, but it was, oh, well, what does Dr Gowan think? And it was, um, it really opened many, many doors to me. So any of you who are thinking about doing extra study, go for it. I really enjoyed it. Um, and when you're doing a PhD, it's actually easy. You might find that hard to believe. But you know more about your subject because you have zeroed into such a small angle rather than a broad part. And it was really a pleasure to do it. So I was very fortunate to find uh, Kay Stewart to supervise me. So you're very well known for having many roles, wearing many hats. So I guess I wanted to find out um, where your passion comes from and how you've managed to develop so many different roles using your pharmacy degree and be involved in so many different oh, aspects. What a huge question, Colleen. <laughs> it's really tough. I guess one of the things is that I was asked to write for the AJP um, to do the, a, an article and I thought, this is too much. And at that stage, I'd been doing some courses with Louis Roller. And I said to Louis, would you like to share this with me? And he said, oh, yes. He said, we could do one month about. So I started writing, and I would tend to write about something that I didn't know about. So I think, well, I don't know much about anemia. Well, maybe other people don't know much about anemia. And so I would then try and put it into a practice situation. And I think I've been writing for the AJP every other month, Louis writes one month and I write the other, and we both look at each other's work and criticise it and try and make it better. But we've been doing this some 25, 26 years. So that's been a big stimulation of self-motivation because if you're going to publish, you've got to get it right because you guys are all going to criticise me if I get it wrong. And I've also got to make it relevant to a practice situation. The other motivating thing in my work, Colleen, is that I've always tried to maintain um, working in practice. So I still work a session, now it's only every two weeks, but in a community pharmacy, so that I could relate to what many people are doing, because otherwise one becomes very academic and thinks this is possible, but it's not possible. Yeah, so lots, and the doors opened. Um, working at the Pharmaceutical Society was absolutely brilliant. I had a great time, great colleagues. Um, nothing was too difficult, it was a challenge. We ran a lot of continuing professional education, learned so much by running it, working with other people, talking to people, getting and finding the very best people in their fields to speak about, whether it be respiratory, cardiovascular or business management or negotiation. And I particularly remember one course that Bill Horsfall organised of effective negotiation. And it's really remembering. And it's, if you can remember this, it helps. And it's think of the needs of the other party. And it was a gentleman called Peter Faulkner. And it was absolutely brilliant. And so I had a very diverse training by being involved in continuing education. And it expanded my scope of practice. Brilliant. 
So you've um, so you've had increased scope of practice, and you've worked in many multidisciplinary fields. So can you talk to me a little bit about working with other healthcare professionals and working in other disciplines and in the varying roles that you work in? I love working across disciplines. I love working with nurses, nurse practitioners, with GPs. Um, I do a session a week each week in a. Um, community health centre, which I've been for the last 12 years, I think. Um, I do home medicine reviews there, which I go out and see people in the West Heidelberg area, which can be very challenging because we've got a diverse population, multicultural. And the wonderful thing about that community health centre is that I have a great relationship with the six doctors there, with the physiotherapists, with the dentists, with the podiatrists, um, with the diabetes educators, um, with the psychologists, with the mental health people, and we did have a geriatrician involved, um, so much so that I actually do updates to them um, on medication, um, and they ask me to, can you give us a drug update? So you respond to those situations. Also have a very close relationship with the two hospitals that are associated with that community health centre. But it just never stops because you just find that we people don't know what pharmacists do and we've got to let them know some of the things that we do. So I ended up doing um, some of the talks to the podiatry students at La Trobe University. I currently do the um, pharmacology for nurse practitioners. Um, at present I've just come back from doing a seven-hour a pharmacology update for them. That's good because if you're going to present, you need to know your stuff, but you need to know what they need to know so you make it relevant to these people as well. You know, so I've worked right across the professions and that really helps. I think one of the things that helped Carleen was that I was fortunate when I left the Pharmaceutical Society to work for divisions of general practice and I worked for division, two divisions of general practice for nine years and I had a GP mentor who told me how GPs thought because I was out trying to promote home medicine reviews and I found out what were their needs and that's helped me right throughout my career now with working in aged care and with working in general practice and working and doing the medication reviews. So what I might um, ask is, you've, we've probably got some pharmacists who, yes, we've had some very challenging circumstances with COVID and burnout and people um, reigniting maybe their passion now as we're getting back into the world. So you've had a lot of opportunities, some that have probably found you and some that you've created. So I guess I would like to find out if you were giving advice to other pharmacists who wanted to work in similar experiences or utilise their skills as a pharmacist but still in the pharmacy profession or working in multidisciplinary fields, what advice might you have for them? Take your opportunities. Absolutely take your opportunities. You might think, this is too hard, I don't know anything about this, but then you have a look at it and you think, Ah, what do they really want from me? I can remember Bill Kelly ringing me one time and saying, the Department of Health wants somebody to train personal care assistances, assistants in SRSs. I thought, well, what are SRSs? There's something unique to Victoria. They're special residential services. So I found out that these people were giving out medication without training. So I thought, oh yes, I can help them because I know a bit about medication and so I put together a course. Well, I've been doing that course still now, I don't know, maybe 15 years later and I'm still running those courses every um, two to three months. Over COVID times, we've been running them by Zoom. We run them from 10 to 3, which is quite challenging with breaks in between and I'm teaching people who took on a job as a cook 
and suddenly they've now got to give out medications because that's their role in these special residential services. And we've got to make sure that they're safe so that they know when to ask questions. So it might have been a, a challenge that I thought, can I do this? But once you find out what you need to know, then you go for it. I also get asked to do quite a lot of legal work and you think, well, I don't know to, whether I can do this. But when they actually ask you the questions, you find it is right within your scope of practice and you, the lawyers know very little about some of the regulations. Once you go through the scheduling requirements and the requirements to prescribe, the requirements, the checking that's involved, um, you can actually be of great use to them and it's extremely satisfying. So I actually do some work with a, a lawyer um, where people are coming into Australia and they're looking at the Australian government are looking at how much their medication costs would be over the next 10 years. So it's a very simple task to actually work with them and extract, speak to the specialists, look at the medications and work out the costs. And then you do a very nice report and you actually put in your um, consultancy fee for it. So never think that a job is too hard because we can apply and you can actually use your networking to find out more about a field that you thought you didn't know much about. Very exciting. So it definitely sounds like you found a way to, um, so there might be a need and you found a way to meet the need and find greater increased scope and greater passion and mm. satisfaction in mm. your role. So Besides networking, are there any other ways that you think pharmacists can get involved um, in some of these areas? Oh, Colleen, there's just, it's infinite. There's just so many areas that you can get involved. Any of the self-help groups need pharmacists as speakers. Go along, do it voluntarily. You might get a bottle of wine, you might get a pot plant, but the satisfaction that you get at the end of those sessions of people coming up saying thank you and it was a maybe it was a question that you thought was so basic but to them was really important. So I do a lot of talks to community groups, probus clubs, RSL groups um, and they're just so much fun and so rewarding as well um, as well as the self-help groups for the Arthritis Foundation, Parkinson's disease, you name it, you can do it. And you can and the other thing is public speaking. On my report when I was, I think, about age 13 or 14, it had Jenny or Jennifer, as I was known then, needs to speak up more in class. I was terrified of speaking up. Suddenly, as you get mature, you find that you actually enjoy it. And the audience, you're just talking to them as though they are people and you relax. You don't read off your PowerPoint slides. You use your own personal experiences and that wins people. They listen. So you just be yourself and enjoy your audience and get try and get rapport with the audience, but try and find out what they want to know. And don't just um, put pitch it too high for them. Pitch it exactly the questions that they want to know. It's good fun. I recommend it. Right. So that was some great tips on how to present and be comfortable presenting because that's a big challenge for people mm. and sometimes it can be a limitation for people's progression in their career. Mm. So you're very well known for your writing and for your teaching and for your presenting. If there are any tips for people who are just starting out um, with those skills, please. Uh, lots of tips. I guess uh, one of the questions that comes up a lot on the chat group is how does one get started with home medicine reviews? How do you get the referrals from the doctors? Well, 
a lot of them don't know what they are. So you need to make an appointment with your favourite clinic and go and see the practice nurse to start off with. You might offer to take along muffins for morning tea and uh, do a, what I call a drug rep, and Kylie knows all about that, and have a chat and talk about what the benefits are to their practice and to their patients. When I was working for divisions of general practice promoting the HMR um, role, I used to say, how many HMRs to get to Santorini? And some of the doctors would be sitting there not listening, and then they'd suddenly perk up because they realised that not only was the money involved in it, but it gave them the information about what their patients were doing at home. And once you work out um, how they can do it, so you go my advice is make an appointment with your favourite surgery, go along, morning tea, afternoon tea or lunch, even expensive sandwiches, tell them about what you can do and how they have to get the referrals off their software, which is not that difficult. Anyone from medical director or best practice will soon show you how to do that so that you can educate them into knowing how to generate the referrals and find out what the doctors want to know from their referral. Do they want to know whether the person is taking their medications or not? What is their adherence like? Can they use their inhalers? Can they use their blood glucose machines? And I've had some horrific examples recently where people have been having insulin and not testing at all. So there's just so much work there. I'm finding at present that the home medicine reviews are really taking off. Um, I've just come from one this afternoon. Um, and once you get a reputation with the doctors, they say, this is so useful, I can better manage my patient. So it's communicating with all the staff, the practice nurses, the reception staff, and then uh, sending back the reports in a timely fashion with relevant information. But uh, it really is actually quite easy to get your business going with home medicine reviews. I think, not that I wish to brag, but since we've been doing it with my business partner, Robin, and myself, we um, she doesn't very few now, but we have done over 10,000 of home medicine reviews. So on my last count, so we've had a fair amount of experience with it, and it went through a bit of a lull, but it's now taking off again. So I commend it to integrate it with your other role, whatever role you might be, you can do this role as well. And your work in nursing homes? Work in nursing homes is interesting because we've gone through a lot of changes and I've been working in them for over 20 years with a, a really good team of pharmacists that work uh, with me, um, not for me, they work, we all work together and we share resources. Um, it's under change at present as we move to the embedded pharmacist role, which is going to be quite different and may not be for all people, but I think there's great opportunities there for people um, who want to um, get into aged care. There's a big need with it, but you've got to realise that it's a completely different scene from the acute hospital situation. And you've got families involved, you've got nursing staff, you've got GPs involved, and you've got to uh, be very empathic with these people in their journey of life. Um, there's a lot of grieving when family put uh, somebody into their home, into the home when they've got dementia and they're suffering guilt and so on. Um, when I'm doing the medication reviews in the aged care home, Colleen, I usually contact the next of kin and ask them if they've got any questions about medication. And I find that extremely rewarding to get a more patient-focused report that goes back to their doctor and then um, looking forward to doing more case conferencing, which is an expansion of that role. I do it now, but we haven't got funding for it. So there's lots of opportunities and you've got to personalise your approach as well. Not, not using um, pro forma 
type statements, making your comments relevant to that person at this point in time of their life. And responding to the needs of the staff, if they want a, um, information on dehydration and you haven't got a talk ready or something, you would produce it for them and have it in a timely fashion. Then you get credibility. Lots of opportunities. You know, you never stop learning in it. So I hope you've given some ins got inspiration. You mightn't want to do it full-time. You can do it part-time. And I really commend part-time roles, but it can be difficult juggling different things. So how have you found the time? To juggle all of these well, different aspects. Well, it's probably an embarrassment, but I seldom watch television because I find that what I'm doing, I'm involved in, and I would rather lead, read the literature about the latest in um, respiratory medicines, cardiovascular medicines, the latest papers that are around. I find that fascinating. Uh, who's written the paper? What did they use? Was it a good paper or not? Um, we produce a newsletter from my business every month that we send out to all our homes with the four papers that I've found interesting over the months. I also produce what I call the Super Short, which is a two-page drug update about what's gone on in adverse reactions, TGA, PPS things, and that goes out to my team and to many of my GPs who say, can you send that to me? It's so helpful. So when some things come on the PBS, what are the requirements? What are the keynotes? Where are the links that I can find more information? So I really enjoy doing that. That keeps me up to date as well. So doing CPD is not a problem. I would hate to think how many thousand hours I do because it becomes an interest and a passion. Um, I don't like somebody saying, oh, look, I've seen a later paper on some medication and they showed this, which is contrary to what I'm saying. So, well, tell me about the paper and then I will decide whether I'm going to continue to recommend, say, vitamin D um, testing in aged care homes or not because there's a lot of controversies. So you need to be on top of it if you're going to write evidence-based recommendations. And you're going to teach these things because if you're saying the wrong thing, somebody could actually sue you. So please make sure that your insurances are up to date as well when you're out in the public arena. Very true. Um, so it sounds like you're very passionate about making a difference and you've tried to find roles that you have been able to make an impact to make a difference. Along your journey, have you found some roles that you haven't been so interested in? Well, that's a hard one um, because I'm really bad because I, I don't like to feel not competent in any field. But there are some fields that I just say, no, that's not for me. And I guess one of the things I really don't like, and it's probably because I did my PhD, is I really don't like data analysis these days. So I delegate that out to other people. And I'm very happy to look at the figures. But I'd much rather, instead of looking at the percentage of people that are on antipsychotics, and they might be high in some of my homes because I've got some of the homes that specialise in mental health and they are needed. But the unnecessary use of antipsychotics is a concern, and looking at the figures is one thing, but I like to look at that individual person and say, can we do better for that person so that we can wean them off the um, antipsychotic that they're on? Often it's because of lack of staff in the nursing homes, lack of personal care assistance, lack of diversional therapists, lack of physios, so we've got to get the whole scene right. So I guess the thing I don't like is data analysis and not being able to do anything to make a difference to somebody's mum and somebody's dad. 
So in line of the fact that you're constantly learning and constantly developing, what are you working on now or what are you learning now? Oh, dear. What am I learning now? Um, how to produce more lectures for nursing staff. I've just uh, written three. I've got another one to do um, right um, this week. And my next article for the AJP, I've decided, is on hearing and the problems of hearing. So that's something different in my medication management. So I'm reading about hearing loss. I'm reading about the drugs that cause hearing loss, which I knew a little bit about, but I'm finding a lot of exciting things, like the man who didn't want a face-to-face interview yesterday, who was hard of hearing, but had a digital aid that he could digitally hear me on his phone with a digital aid from his hearing aid. So I need to know more about these things to help in our communication. And the number of people that I go to, the man I've just come from today, um, he wasn't wearing his hearing aids, and gee, it was hard. And to get him to go and get the hearing aids was just not on. So we've really got to think. Um, so I had to make a decision to take my mask off so that he could see, hear my voice clearer so I could communicate. So hearing is what I'm, that's this week's um, episode next week. So the article's due on the first of the month. So I'm reading about that at present, Colleen. Thank you. Um, and you also do some work for the your member of the PSA committee that you've been yes, for quite yes. a long time. So you also do additional advocacy roles as well. Well, there's, uh, there's so much to be done there. And again, um, Pharmaceutical Society are doing a great job, but um, we've got to let people know what we do and uh, then get the opportunities to be able to get out and work in a multidisciplinary team. We are short of GPs. Um, we've got to do what we can to expand our role and to really you know, work at full practice, and that is possible. Yeah. Right. So there's so many opportunities. Just, just look at the opportunities and you'll find that you'll find something that you really enjoy. Oh, the other passion I've got is medication and driving, which many of you might have heard me speak publicly on, and that comes up so frequently, the impact of medications on driving skills. And that is one that I constantly revive and, and get a lot of flack over, I might say. I guess the other one I haven't approached, Colleen, and that's because you also work in the pharmaceutical industry, um, as my daughter has and my son-in-law has as well. And that came to my scope of practice um, when I was working at the Pharmaceutical Society when the companies um, were coming in for CPD and they wanted to know what do pharmacists need to know about the medications when we actually go out and do calls in the pharmacy. So I did a lot of training of pharmaceutical representatives of what do pharmacists want to know and that was fascinating. That was again expanding my role and making me so much more aware of the need to work with Big Pharma and so that they produce some fantastic materials and we've got to work with them and see what are their needs um, and how can we get an, a balanced approach of utilising their skills and putting them into a practice situation. So that was an interesting one and one uh, something that I thoroughly enjoy and I often will consult to industry now because we need industry. Without industry, we don't have our medications. Great. 
Well, I could go on, and I'm sure the listeners are probably bored by now, but enjoy your careers because you make it what you can. You can have a flexible career, which is what I've had. I've never really worked for many years, nine to five, five days a week. I tend to work odd hours. I play tennis on a Tuesday and always have. But then I work to all hours of night of the night because I'm a night person. So you just do what, you invo- what you're involved in. And if you're involved in it, it becomes a way of life and something that you enjoy. And what I haven't said, Carleen, is that when I came to Australia, I knew no one, no one in pharmacy. And what a fantastic career I've had. I've travelled the world, I've done so many PSA offshore trips and had the privilege of speaking at them. I've been represented asthma at the European Respiratory Conference in Berlin, a very exciting conference. I've been to um, Belfast doing a major one on CPD, so I've done some major conferences and travelled to most countries presenting. So I've just been so fortunate to have an exciting career. Um, which was actually brought to a bit of a halt with COVID, but we're now getting back into it again, and I look forward to doing a lot more of the trips around and speaking to a diverse population and different people. It's really exciting. So take your opportunities. Take your opportunities Mm. and create some opportunities. Yes, they're there. Mm. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.